0: Well, I usually have my little podium, but today I'm going to bring out the old table. Is that centered? For some of you OCD people, I know it will bother you the entire service if it is not centered, amen? It is just just like when I preach sometimes and I wear the vest and the little flappy thing in the back isn't hooked up, drives some of you guys crazy. I love it. I don't know why you're like that, but that's okay. Of all of the things that I do in life, of all the things that I do in life, one of the things that I love, and probably perhaps the greatest thing I love, is I love being a parent. Amen? But I also love being a grandparent now. And man, isn't she just the cutest thing? If you don't, amen, I'm preaching until 3 in the afternoon. There you go. She is absolutely, and I'm doing things now that just try to show her that I love her. I kiss her little face off. I do the little thing just to kind of make her laugh. She probably wishes I would quit spitting in her face and that kind of thing. But you're just doing those little touches day by day by day. And the thing is, we hold her up and we go, okay, who does she look like? Who does she look like? Does she look like Byron, my middle son? Does she look like Hannah? Hannah? Does she look like me? The fog is rolling in as we talk about me. How many think she looks like Terry? Man, she will buy you dinner if you think that. I'm telling you. Well, we, we all kind of think that. And I love it when you guys look at my kids and and you tell me that they look like me, they have my characteristics, they have my mannerisms, that they walk like me and they talk like me and... And, uh, and that's, pretty, that's pretty cool, my kids love being compared to a 50-something-year-old man with a pot belly, they, they really like that. My, my children are all grown up, by the fact, this weekend I had all of my children home. Uh, ben was in from Nashville with, uh, with a friend, and, and Byron and Hannah were over, and Emma Kate was over, and Blake, he graduated from Duke University. And, and so we were all there, and it was just very cool. Because I love it when, I love being their dad. I I love it when we just hang out. And I remember dropping Benjamin off at Bible College, my oldest son, way back in the day. And I remember driving home as I left Nashville. Not because I was fearful of leaving him at Bible College. I just remembered of all of the things that I forgot to teach him. 18 years seemed like such a long time. But then as I drove away, it was like I had no time with this kid at all. I never taught him how to change a tire. If he gets sick, I didn't tell him what to do. And and I didn't even teach him back in that day. You'll know how far back this goes. I didn't even teach him how to make a collect phone call, you know. But I love being a dad. so, years ago, I started tinkering with this idea about six things that no kids should leave home without... And so I've kind of put it all together, and we're just going to talk about six things over the next six weeks or seven weeks, about six things that no kids should leave home without. Now, I believe that parents are the primary molders and shapers of a child's spiritual formation. Amen? I believe the church plays a part. But I believe without a doubt the parents have, are the primary disciplers in the home. He say, well, I brought my kids to church and the children's church workers did it. Listen, if all you do is the Sunday morning fling thing, then that's not enough. That's not going to get it. You have to be committed to shaping your spiritual family's heritage. And partnership with the Lord. We all understand we can do nothing without him. But I want to stress to you that the responsibility of discipling children to know and to love God. And to be obedient to his word. Not only just to make a decision of faith. But to live out that faith. Is a non-negotiable parental responsibility. Amen. That is our role as parents. And I even think grandparents and great-grandparents. The Bible says that our testimony, our faithfulness, is to be known into the third and the fourth generation. And of course, you can figure out how far down the family tree that goes. We are to provide a spiritual foundation and a spiritual basis for our home. And that means that for we as parents, we have to be proactive in this area. Not harsh, not legalistic, not unrealistic, but loving and teaching and providing and giving spiritual formation in the daily stuff of life so that they make the choice to become a Christ follower and then they follow Christ in their life and that's what we want isn't it and so I want to talk to you this morning about the six things your child needs before they leave home and one of them is character everybody say that with me character now I don't have any fill-in-the-blanks, but I would like for you to write some notes down and just kind of fill in some things. Because this thing of character building isn't easy. It isn't easy. This thing of character, it takes a lot of effort to instill the kind of character where people look at them and say they look like their Heavenly Father. They have the mannerisms of Jesus. They have the look of a believer of Jesus Christ. And when I say look, I, I truly mean heart. I'm not talking about dressing up and coming to church. I'm talking about that they embrace all that Christ is. And it's not just a come to Sunday morning church thing. It is a 24-7 life thing that in their home and in their marriage and in their work and in their in the marketplace and in their ministry and being involved in serving in the church and in the community, man, they live it. They get it. They share it. They have the character, the mannerisms. They have the heart of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That takes time. Heraclitus, I think that's how you say his name, said good character is not formed in a week or in a month. It's created little by little, day by day. Protected and patient effort is needed to develop good character. And if you've got children, you say amen to that, right? Well, Moses understood this concept a long time ago. He was way ahead of his time. And Moses understood it. He was trying to help parents of his generation understand what it's like to leave a spiritual imprint on your children. To impact them so that they look more like the Heavenly Father than they look like the culture around them. And so he says this in the book of Deuteronomy. And turn with me there to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 a lot during this, this text. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5 begin with an English word, hear. In your English language, it says, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Well, let's read the text. It says, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey that it may go well with you and that it may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promised land. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord, and that's, anytime you see it capitalized like that, that's Jehovah. The Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Tremendous verses. This is a simple command to listen. Matter of fact, the word is shema. In the Hebrew. And it's a very simple command to listen. But it's not just to listen like when our wives sometimes are talking and we're watching a ball game and we hear audible noises. And they are really sharing. And somewhere between their lips and our ears and into our brain it translates blah, blah, blah. Well that's not what he's saying. He's saying listen with the intent to learn And to do. It's not just, okay, I get that. It's not like Don leading us in a new song and we go, okay, I hear it and now I can sing it. It is, okay, I hear it, now I'm going to go live it. I'm going to go do it. Character is not about knowledge solely. But it is about knowledge in action. Rightly applied wisdom in life. And so we have this three kind of prose of Shema, which means to listen. The words are the most familiar confession in Judaism. Observant Jews recite these three verses every morning and every night. This unparalleled words challenge us on two fronts. First, they reveal the most profound truth about character of a transcendent God. That our God is one God. This verse... Contrary to what the other religions of Moses' day and culture out there was, Moses is calling Israel to radical monotheism. He's calling Israel to a radical faith in one God. He's calling us to live out our lives in a radical manner. He says, listen, here, listen, hear, go do. Our God is one God, so love him with all of your heart. Serve him with all of your might. The second kind of implied thing is that they were, also, we're also challenged that because we're made in his image, that we're to have supreme loyalty in life to him, loving him with all that we are. Do you see it there in verse 5? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I love it when football season starts because all you Michigan fans just come out of the closet, man. You put on your maize and blue makes me sick, but you wear your maize and blue. You know, I'm pulling for the Red Wings, pulling for the Tigers. You might as well pull for the Lions. It's the only game in town in the fall, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But I love it when you, when you sport your colors because, man, you guys are all in. You guys are crazy Michigan Wolverine fans. I'd be crazy if I ever became one, but you're crazy because you are one. Here's the thing. You're all in with Michigan, Right? It doesn't matter what your record is when you play my team. You always think you can beat my team. You're wrong, but you always think you can beat my team. You're all in. It's because, man, you embrace you of them, the Wolverine, the Maize and Blue, Hail to the Victors, and all that mess. You're just all in, man. That's the idea with Jesus Christ. You're all in. You're all in. You sport the colors. You, you just pull for it, desire it with all your heart. You're involved. You cheer. You're, you're not just a bystander, but you're a, a participant in what's going on. And that's what he's calling us to. This radical faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 6 through 9. It really speaks to the issue of how we impress or imprint our children with godly character. Again, it's not formed in a week. It's not formed in a month. But it's patiently, day after day time and impress upon them the knowledge the importance of knowing God and loving God and embracing all that God is and as we talk about God when it's not on Sundays and when we're not at funerals and when we're not at weddings when we just talk about God in the day in day out stuff of life and if all your kids ever get is well what did you think of the message what did you learn in Sunday school today what did you learn in children's church today you've missed it Faith in Jesus Christ cannot be a Sunday-only conversation. Listen to what Moses said. He said, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your, what's the word? Excuse me, what's the word? Hearts. Impress them on your children. I love that word, impress. it's, It's like you... Man, you you leave your thumbprint. You impress them on your children. Again, not harshly, not legalistically, but out of love, compassionately, knowing the bent and the, the nature of your child. Talk about them when you sit at home. Casual conversation. And when you walk along the road, when you go into the market, when you go into the store, when you go into the mall. When you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. They would, they would have the woman and the and they would be these little boxes that they would have pieces of, of the holy word of God given by Moses. They would be wrapped up there so that every time they walked they would feel it dangle maybe like uh, um, the Pandora things dangle on your, leg, uh, on your arms lady. Or they would dangle right here on their foreheads so that you would always hear it. You would always feel it. You would always know that God's word was right there. And it was to be an ever-present topic of conversation. Tithe in verse 8, it says, As symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the doorframe of your house and on your gates. In other words, have religious art. We would kind of paraphrase it in our day. Have religious art in your home. Make it remind you, may it let it serve to remind you of the goodness and the greatness of God. I want you to know this. That there's a lot of different people, a lot of different ideologies, and a lot of different philosophies, narratives out there that are trying to impress their character, their story, their mannerisms on our kids. Right? It's everywhere. For example, our, and it's not hard to see. Matter of fact, I'm going to try to illustrate this, and the only way I can think to illustrate this is and you just kind of how many of you remember silly putty? Yes, you're older than dirt if you remember silly putty. It started in World War II when they were when rubber was a shortage and they were trying to make a synthetic rubber. And so this guy came up with with this rubber goo, this silly putty thing, and and it was pretty cool, man. You know, you can you can roll it up and. And I had forgotten this. The thing I remember about Silly Putty is that my mom and dad, we would sit and read the Sunday paper after church. We had this big old picture window, and the sun would just come through that big old picture window, and I would take Silly Putty and I would put it on the comic strips. And I would take, you know, Andy Cap or Charlie Brown, and I would put it, you remember doing that? And you would peel it off, and then you'd have Charlie Brown, and you could stretch his face out, you know? Remember that? But it also bounces, you know? It's pretty cool. But it's, it, it's kind of serves because we as parents, we're to mold our children. We're to help them to understand what it's like to be like in Jesus Christ. And so you spend your time molding and forming and, and imprinting. And if you can see, you can see my thumbprints are now all over the silly putty. But then they go off to school and it just kind of gets a little bit diluted, a little bit mixed in the shuffle. And, and, and then you, you come, they come home and you've got to form and reform and mold and you've got to shape. You can't take it for granted. I don't care what school they went to or even if they're homeschooled. You've got to work at forming when you get up. You've got to work at forming and imprinting when you go to sleep. There's, I'm telling you, it is patiently done day after day over a lifetime, this forming. Because if we're not careful, man, the ideologies and the things of our culture will try to put their imprint on our kids. You only have to get the Sunday paper to, to figure out what people want to do to imprint our kids, you know? You got the headlines. Anybody, anybody read the day's paper yet? Oh, cool. Let me read it to you. Front page, the war over wolves. U.S. residents say hunt will control a killer the wolves stock surge buoy's pension plan not yours but ceo's but that's okay may help restore cuts to services then and now at odds on Mackinac. enhance select sections more about michigan so it's kind of about our state you know And so if if we were just to kind of let it go and and we just kind of take our silly buddy and we didn't really talk about character, we really didn't share faith, we didn't tell our kids what God was doing in our life, what helps form them, then all of a sudden they're going to be imprinted by today's news and today's culture. Now there's good in today's news and there's culture in today's news, but there's, there's other things, man. If you were to go through the, the paper, man, there's the business section, right? Everybody likes the business section. Michigan's comeback. By the way, and I'm just reading you the paper now while I'm playing with my silly buddy. There's five stocks that have been up over 100% in the last three years. Don't you wish you would have invested three years ago in those? And what the capitalist community does is it tells our kids, man, if you just make more money... You're gonna be happy. If you just go for the brass ring and have the big house and live the American dream, you're gonna be great. You have all the resources, it's gonna fix all the problems in your world. And we all know that money doesn't fix anything but the car and appliances, it doesn't fix what's wrong in our soul. But yet, it imprints our kids. Who so our kids start buying into this, start believing it, and we as parents, we have to go, okay, it's all right. When we get up, when we lie down, when we go to the store, when we come in, when we come out, we're going to do our job of molding, of shaping, of training, of imprinting our kids with the gospel, of imprinting our kids with the character, imprinting our kids with the love of God. Well, then there's the sports page. Everybody loves sports. Aren't we glad the Red Wings won yesterday? Amen? That's good, man. We were all worried half to death, weren't we? But you know what the sport says, doesn't it? Sports is kinda of really kind of all about hedonism. Just kind of do what you want when you want to do it. And you don't really have to have any responsibilities, just life's a game, and you don't really get much more into that. And so it tries to impress on us its values of hedonism. And sure enough, there it is again. Their imprint. On our child. We could go through celebrities and entertainment. We could go through leisure. We could go through the life section. I'm telling you, every section of the paper represents a segment of society that wants to imprint our children. And if we leave them alone, and we don't become the filter of culture, we don't become the filter of the things that want to impress our children, then they will imprint our children instead of us as parenting, instead of us as parents doing our job as parents and molding and shaping Shaping our children's life does that make sense so we kind of need to be like silly putty you know what I'm saying we just need to be about forming and shaping and, and equipping and teaching our kids how to love and how to serve and how to know Christ by the way who hadn't had silly putty in a long time I see, John, I knew if I threw it to you, you would miss it, buddy, you know? But Jack will pass it back up. Here's the thing. How does it work out? An example of this kind of parenting, of molding, of, 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 of just kind of working it, making sure that the imprint of Scripture gets imprinted over the imprints of things of the culture and, and money and, and, and things that just don't satisfy the soul, fame and, and status... And turn to Luke's gospel in the New Testament. You'll, you'll see a New Testament example of this, of this illustration. Their names are Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth have godly character. Zachariah and Elizabeth are, are wonderful people and I just kind of want to use their story to help us want to throw out three things if you're going to give your kids character number one you got to have a grip on your own character if you're going to teach your kids to love the Lord their God to have a radical monotheistic faith in the God of scripture then you've got to have radical monotheistic faith in the God of scripture you've got to be all in You've got to have character that says, Jesus, whatever you lead, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you call me to do, that's what I'm going to do. You've got to have this radical faith. Can I just kind of tell you something? I think sometimes we as Christians are a little too laid back in our faith. Again, I am not talking about legalistic, I'm not talking about being unkind, I'm not talking about being harsh, I'm not talking about being any of that. I'm just simply saying, I am what I am, and in Christ Jesus, you are what you are in Christ Jesus, and there is no reason to be ashamed of that, and there's no reason to pull back from that. It is alright to believe in the God of the Bible, and it's alright to believe that the Bible declares that there is only one true and living God, amen? It is all, you've got to have a grip on your own character. You cannot be a liar at the root of who you are and expect to produce honest children. You cannot, you cannot be a hypocrite in the core of your being and expect to produce, to imprint authenticity into your children's heart. You have to have a grip on your own character. Look at Elizabeth and Zechariah Luke chapter 1 verses 5, 6 and 7 Zechariah was a priest in the temple he wasn't one of the main priests but, but he was a priest in the temple and they would draw lots and they would have assignments and on this particular day it was his assignment to go in and offer sacrifice we have this description of these godly parents they're older it's been a long time, and they, they've gone without a child. And verse 5 says that in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a high priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, the priestly tribe. Both of them were upright in the sight of God. Wow, what a testimony. Man, when it says they were upright, it means they were outstanding. That there was no shadiness in them. There was nothing you could say that would call in anything of their character into into doubt. No one could make a disparaging remark about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Man, they, they believed it, they embraced it, they lived it. They modeled it. They imprinted it. Verse 6 says, both of them, husband and wife, mom and dad, both of them were upright in the sight of God. And what does it mean to be upright in the sight of God? Well, they observed all the Lord's commandments and the regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. In the Bible, kind. They were both well along in years. They were older in dirt. But they were well along in years. You know, the Bible is just really painting a picture of two people who were just upright, honest, transparent, genuine, authentic. They said it. They embraced it. They lived it. That was Zachariah and Elizabeth. But I'm talking to some of you here. You don't have that squeaky clean past. Matter of fact, I'm talking to some of you here that... If your past could be put up on the video screen, you'd be ashamed of it. And you've done things that you hope your kids never find out. Or if they know, they'd never repeat. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us would be in that boat. I want you to understand this. By the grace of God, your history does not disqualify you from leading your children on a path of purity. Can I say that again? No matter what you have done in your past, if you are a Christ follower, the sins of your past do not disqualify you from being the primary spiritual formation person and the spiritual foundation of your home. Amen? I don't care what it is. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter. I know what Jesus did for you and he did for all of us. So I want you to understand that your past does not dictate your future. Does that make sense? I have talked to so many people, they said, well, my dad was a drunk, and my, father, my grandfather was a drunk, and my grandfather's father was a drunk, and so on and so forth. We just, I just come from a family of drunks, and so I'm just going to be a drunk as well. It's just my destiny. No, it isn't. By the grace of God, you can be the generation that breaks the curse of, and the chains of sin that bind you and strap you to that sin. And the only thing that's going to free you is the power of God in that situation. So you got to get a grip on your own character. You may have failed in some particular battle in sin, but you don't have to acquiesce your responsibility as the spiritual formation. Godly character is affected by those of us who will simply just stand before the Lord and simply realize we've got to get a grip on our own character. Now, by the way, if there's sin in your life, listen, you've got to deal with it quickly. You can't let sin just keep piling up and piling up because it has this cumulative effect that it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, and there's then more negative consequences throughout your life. And, and so you've got to deal with this thing of a poor character Quickly. But not only do you have to deal, if you're going to give your kids character, you got to deal with your own character. But you got to be a person of prayer. you really got to be a person of prayer. You've got to pray. I mean, you have got to pray for your kids like nobody's business. Look at verse 13. The Angel said to them, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? We're not given clue to the prayer. They never prayed it in the text that Luke the historian and the physician gives to us. But evidently not only were they upright in their character, but they were people of prayer who trusted God to do what they could not see and do what they only envisioned and so They prayed for a child. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're going to give him the name John. If you were a Jewish woman, it was an embarrassment to be married and not to have a child. It was a shameful situation. And so they prayed, and they prayed, and it took some years, but God heard and God answered Elizabeth and Zechariah's prayer. Listen, moms, If dads, if you're going to be the spiritual discipler of your home, if you're going to be the primary molder in printing of spiritual truth, you've got to pray for four things. Let me just throw them out very quickly. And, and I hope you scribble these down. Pray for these four things. First of all, man, you need to pray that they'll make the right choice to follow and obey God. Pray that they make right choices to obey God. Giving God their heart, confession of sin. That's a big prayer that has many sub points to it. I just want to throw it out as the big brush stroke to say you got to pray that they make right choices to obey God. My kids are now 27, 25, 23 with one wife and one grandbaby. I still pray for my kids that they will make right choices and obey God. You say, well, when are you going to quit praying that prayer? When I'm in heaven. I don't read of a time, even though when they get married and they step out from under the authority of our home and establish the authority of their own home, I understand that until I die, I'm supposed to have some aspect of spiritual formation into their lives. And the older they get, the, the dynamics of that change, but I'm not relieved of that parental responsibility. I'm their parent. I'm their dad. It's all I know how to be is their dad. And dads pray. So pray that your children will make right choices. The next thing I want to throw up on the screen is that pray that their eyes will be open to the magnificence of God. And if you hit the button one more time, there it is. It will come with the magnificence of God. That means we just understand how great God is. That we don't put God in our little box, but that we let God explode in our lives with all of his glory and majesty, transcendence, preeminence, and, and with majestic wonder we stand in all of him. We pray that our eyes will be open to the magnificence of God. That they'll understand truth about God in a, in a great way. The third thing I want to throw up to you is that we need to pray that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Life is hard. They're going to face hard times, but nothing's impossible for God. They're going to have their backs up to the wall and not know which way to turn, but nothing is impossible with God. They'll have choice of taking the easy way out or standing for what's right and, and, and standing with integrity and standing with character. I want to pray that they'll learn that nothing is impossible with God. And the final thing I think we need to pray for, and there's a whole lot more even in sub points of these, but we need to pray for courage to stand for what's right, even when others may not. By the fact, you might as well expect that others will not, but we need to expect and pray that our kids will stand for what's right. Now, by the way, moms and dads, if you're gonna pray for your kids in those four areas, you also need to pray for yourself in those four areas, and you need to live those four areas as well. I wanna throw one final thing at you this morning is that you and I, Need to pray that our kids will have a big picture faith. Luke chapter 1, verses 59 through 61 says this, and it just kind of takes us along in the narrative, tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Then we find out in verse 13, God hears their prayer, and now they've had the birth of their son. They've named him John, and this is part of that story. It's a nine-month kind of deal, but it's really cool. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, John the Baptist. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That was the custom. If you were a Jewish father, you would name your firstborn after you. But his mother spoke up, which was like taboo, and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. What's interesting is what the name John means. The name John means grace of God. It would be indicative of what John's ministry would be. Because the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah had the gracious privilege of being the one to introduce Jesus Christ to the world. He would grace to God the entire world by simply saying, Behold, there comes one whose shoe and whose sandals I'm not unworthy to unloose. He would point to Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John, clothing camel hair, eating locusts. I mean, this dude was a man's man. Said that he, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. What humility. By the way, fast forward to the end of days. Because having big picture face sometimes is is tough because our world just gets microscopic and microscopes and telescopes in on just the day's events. On the day's news, on whose team's winning, or what Hollywood couple is breaking up, or what stocks are on the fly and on the rise. And listen, we got to teach our kids to have, we got to imprint on our kids to have a bigger picture than that. God lives with eternity in mind. We need to teach our kids to have a a big picture faith. It means that we live and that we as parents also live for what's eternal, not for what's temporary. It means that we will not sacrifice the the, the eternal on the altar of the immediate. That we will stand for what's right and we'll look, you know, at life with the end of it in mind. So did this thing work out for... Elizabeth and Zechariah. I want to show you one other passage of Scripture. It's Luke chapter 7 and verse 28. Jesus says this. And if you have a red letter edition in your Bible, a red letter edition just simply means that somebody determined that that's what Jesus said. And I believe so for the, for in your Bibles. But if you do have that, then you'll notice that this is in red. This is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. He says, I tell you among those born of women, he's basically saying, I'm going to tell you of all the people that's ever lived or ever will live, there's none greater than John. Semicolon. It's not the end of the story. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than. Than he. So that little child you rock. Least in the kingdom than John? Yep. Can he be greater than John? Absolutely. That little girl you tuck in bed at night, kiss her little forehead goodnight. Is she least than John? Maybe. Can she be greater than John? Absolutely. Big picture faith. See, we need to teach our kids so that one day Jesus Christ says to us and says to our children, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Our children need godly character And we've got to imprint it on them before they leave home. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a minute?